Yes, yes, it's me, Bobby Friction, here, essentially in the center of the world, Southall at the London Mella, and you are listening to the Native Immigrants Podcast. You get me? Salutations and welcome to another episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hi. Oh, dear. Jojo B sounding like 2018 Jojo B right about now. What's going on? What? No, wait, wait, wait. You're not feeling that way for the same reason. No. Last year. No. Thank fuck for that. No. Man's ain't ready to be a daddy times two no never again you will only be daddy <laughs> times one yeah, yeah, try, try telling try telling your parents that try telling my parents that oh they've been told they've been briefed incessantly but you know what you know that's it's quite an apt talking about this and you know having babies and love making etc because what? this is our first <laughs> show of september and you know what september is oh no september is the month of love I'm going to have a headache for the whole of September. Forget the headaches and think of heart-pounding action. Because September is the month of love. And you know what the craziest part is? I legitimately can't remember why September was the month of love last year when we coined it the month of love. Don't, don't ask me. I was very nauseous. Yeah, during and that time period. I um, was not very well. And today... I feel not so nauseous, a little bit nauseous, mm. but mostly just have a banging headache. Yes. Like every time I move, it pounds. But you know, you've, you've trooped it. You've been a proper soldier, you know, being a mother to our child, a husband, a husband, a wife <laughs> to your husband. You pretty much are the husband as well <laughs> in this house. Husband. You literally are the husband as well. I fixed the bath. Exactly. Because you helped fix the bath the other day. <laughs> You know, you pretty much do most of the DIY around here. You know, like I, you know, yeah, I should I should be the one little dollied up like on my apron when you come back home from work. No, and, this like, is an equal opportunities household. There is no, you know, gender bullshit. You know, certain roles for certain people. Yeah. No, we all do a little bit of everything, except I do most of it. Everything. <laughs> yeah, don't mince your words, Jojo B. <laughs> Um, but September is the month of love. So please show everyone around you as much love as possible during this month. You should do it obviously all year round, but I like to feel, you know, uh, accentuated uh, loveness uh, around your circle, your community, your loved ones. What are these words that you're using? I, well, I, you know what? Because I'm accentuated trying. Accentuated loveness. Accent, accentuated loveness. You know, that's the that's the slogan for the month of love. I've got a headache. I can't cope with this. <laughs> Look, I'm just trying to show people should show each other some love during September. This is the month of love, and this is the Native Immigrants Podcast. So we're going to be all about love today. But specifically, you know, now that we've done this, I don't know. It's become a thing now with us. We've had like themed episodes. We've obviously we had the Pride special, which was really really great. Uh huh. And now today, this is 
a London Miller special. We're going to be discussing the London Miller because we were there as press. With our baby. Yeah, with our baby. So you can imagine the press room, all these like journalist types kind of running around, you know, headless chickens trying to get shit done. And then there's us trying to burp our baby on the corner on our desk. I mean, literally, this is what happened. Yeah. Um, he was pretty much the star of the show, to be fair. Oh, my God. He, at the age of eight and a half months, is a massive flirt. Yes. And um, I was standing there talking to one of the PR girls who was very lovely, a mm. uh, lovely Irish lady. And um, as I was talking to her, he just turned to her while I was holding him. I just put his arms up. Wow. He's like, hold me, lady. <laughs> hold me close he i think he already knows that september is the month of love yeah. and so all he was doing was basically trying to you know bring the love he the just love. looked at her he just she she ended up having to hold him yeah and then he was just looking at her and he <laughs> like, was like and he was like stroking, up against the breast <laughs> no he was like stroking her blonde hair and i was like okay i can see where this, this is going guy, what is going on like we need to instill some me too movement shit into our son right now he, he was loving you know the golden hair wow but we will be discussing more about the London Miller during this episode, where we'll even have some celebrity interviews. I mean, we sound professional here. This was a really professional outfit, except for the fact that our, our microphone adapter fucked up. <laughs> and so we had to use our phones to do the interviews. But your man, your man salvaged it and actually made us sound professional even despite that. Okay. But Jojo B also conducted an interview, and you'll be hearing that in the second half Why of the show. Why do you make it sound like I'm some kind of idiot that wasn't know how to do an look interview? Look how you're sounding, people. Look at the way, way you're sounding, and you're coming across to people. They're obviously going to think this, I sound like this when I have a They're obviously going to think you're a very timid, shy, reserved type. What? You know, and that's why I've got basically, you know, where would they have got that from? From your hi, everyone. Don't really want to do this. I mean, that's just because I don't really want to do this most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I love you guys, but seriously, most of the time I'm t like last year I was nauseous, and this year I'm tired. Mm, yeah. So deal with it. 2020 Jojo <laughs> Beat is going to be sick, people. I'm going to be back at work. I'm going to be even more tired. I'll be slightly angry probably as well. So I guess our listeners have got a lot to look forward to. Um, but before we get onto the London Miller, I'm like the I'm the reason people listen. Don't shrug your shoulders at me. You should just see the look that he gave me. Oh, Do you know what? I'm doing this. I've got a headache. But like, you know what? I appreciate you being here and soldiering it for our audience. I just need a hug and a cup of tea. Mm. And like, I've given you a hug. I gave you a hug just before the start of the show. I don't know. Like watch Gilmore Girls for like the millionth time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I just want to watch. Yeah, because that's like the own. We've got like a thousand things that we should be catching up and watching. But Can, here we are. But you know what? We we did watch. Because what's our new favourite programme, and I know it's got nothing to do with British Asians because there is no Asians in it. Mm. What's it called? UK Rap Game or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> rap Game UK? Something like that. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. It's bloody brilliant. Crab and Conan. It's great. Yeah. You were you were like completely in tears as well the last episode. Yeah. There's a guy great. from Harrow in it. Yeah. Do you know, we are yeah, we're representing Chad Payne. Big up yourself. Harrow boy. Chad you know, or Chade? Chade? Is it Chade? Chade, Chade Payne. Chade? I think, yeah, I think so. Chade, chode, chode. No, because no, no, chode. No, it's not. I didn't say chode. I said chode. I said chode. So you just you know said chode. Don't be disrespectful. I didn't. Oh, I'm not being disrespectful. Big up chade, um, representing Harrow. Yes, it's a great look. Our hometown. 
where where were the Asian well, MCs? That though? means where I live. Where were the Asian <laughs> MCs though, fam? Harrah's where I live. It's not my hometown. Oh fuck off! I'm asking you where the fucking Asian MCs were. I don't know. They're not good enough, obviously. What? Bombshell from Jojo B. Well, otherwise, take that where British are you? What game? are you doing? I mean, I married one, but he decided to give it up. Bro, I'm older than everyone <laughs> on that fucking show. Like, like Captain Conan, old enough to be like fucking my sons. <laughs> this is true. Not this, not fucking true. If if I had them like really early in life, you know, if 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 I if I'd have known that the month of love of the was back in my, in my year, teenagers' cool. years, and I would have potentially, you know, there's a girl in my year got pregnant when we were in year nine. It is Newcastle though, fam. Come on. Piss off. Come on, my G. But fuck all that shit. Bruv. Mans were on TV. Yes, we were. Oh and my thanks days. to who? Thanks to Sunday Brunch for putting us on. Well, yes. But mostly because I made it happen. Uh, she did make it happen. And she was a lot more gassed than, than the current JoJo B is. I, on Sundays, I'm like... Please don't make me watch anything else. I will not accept anything else um, other than Sunday brunch. Mm. Uh, I love Sundays because of Sunday brunch. Yes. And uh, we were on it and I was so happy. I'm trying to be happy now, but it's fine. I'm finding it really hard because there's a lot of effort. But I was really happy that day. Yeah. Because my face was on national TV. Yeah. Can you and imagine? Yours. Yeah. And, and you know, what? I'm glad uh, you got my best side. Thank you for that. Um, but it was, uh, they were asking people for pictures of being on stairs or some shit. Yeah, because, I mean, this is very tenuous, but it's because Downton Abbey, the, the film is coming out. Mm. And so they want, and because it's an upstairs, downstairs drama, they yeah. wanted pictures of people going upstairs or downstairs. And so we were on some stairs. In, yeah. You have to say the way that you say it. All right. Drum roll, please. I'm waiting for you to say Me? it. Me? I'm waiting for you to say it. No, I'm waiting for you to say it. What a waste of a drum roll. Oh my days. Um, no, the way that you say it, because you say it and then you do this funny noise. I don't think anyone knows this apart oh, yeah, from it's me. it's funny. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's Brazil. Um, and the reason I do that is because there was a, um, an old FIFA video <laughs> of like uh, Brazil winning the World Cup and this, this dude just kept popping up on screen saying, Brazil. Like, you know, some weird, weird, crazy synth. And so I obviously had to piss Jojo B off through our entire trip to All Rio. Literally every through. other minute. Um, and just reminding her where we were and adding that sound effect, basically, at the end of it. But now we can't say Brazil. Yeah, we can't say Brazil. It has to be Brazil. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's where we were. And the Escadir... Escadir how do you pronounce it? Escadario Salaron. Escadario. 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 Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I said It's basically that the steps like from so. the Pharrell and Snoop video from Beautiful, um, which is iconic, iconic video, iconic steps. We were there, obviously. And they showed it on TV. And I managed to crop out the fat man that was next to us on the stairs. Shout out to the fat man. Uh, it was a big man. And he, like, we had this amazing kind of, like, empty scene for mm. us to be able to finally take the picture. Because loads of tourists that were there, obviously, everyone wants to take pictures. Yes. And then this big man just came and walked right through it. Yep. But I cropped him out. Yeah. He didn't deserve to be on Sunday brunch. Bruv. 
I, I like to think that, you know, that could potentially be our stepping stone to much bigger and greater things on television. I mean, I genuinely want to be a guest on Sunday Brunch. Bruv, we should be presenting Sunday Brunch. No, I don't want to present it. Why? I just want to be a guest. I want to sit at the table and have laughs and jokes with the other celebrities mm. and eat food. That's actually true, though. That's actually very I true. I want to do the, you know, the alcoholic tipples bit. Mm-hmm. And I want to do... Um, the standing around the random table where they eat loads of like random things. Bit. So what What if like, you know, sometimes they bring the guest on to help cook a dish. Mm-hmm. What if they were making like pea fricassee? Well, I would tell them that I'm allergic to peas. Allergic to peas. I'm not allergic wow. to peas. I hate peas. <laughs> I'm allergic to peas. I'm allergic to gluten. And um, so they couldn't make you the two things a, that I hate, a so pea yeah. sandwich. Well, they could, but I wouldn't eat it. I bet it's against my religion. <laughs> Play the race card. Big up yourself. Um, but yeah, big up Sunday brunch. Thank you so much for showing our picture. Uh, shout out to all the people who message saying, "Oh my god, I saw you on Sunday brunch." All like handful of you. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, why don't we know people that watch it? Because nobody watches. Yeah, nobody's like wakes up early enough on a Sunday to watch Sunday brunch, fam. We're like one of the earliest Even people because we, we got didn't a baby. Have kids, we woke up early enough to <sighs> like to watch you did. It. I was just like. Oh. Oh my god, it's like the best thing. Anyway, people are stupid if they don't watch it. Yeah, people are out on Saturday and Saturday nights, which means that they get up Fuck at like Sunday out. at 12 Fuck o'clock. going out. Staying at home is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> people like go out, socialise, do your thing. But also, if no. you're watching Sunday Brunch, like look out for us. We might be on there one day in the future. But JJB, you were also on another media platform this week, and that was the BBC Asian Network. I was. Yes. How was that? It was good. Yes. You were on Mobeen's show. Yes. I was talking about my allergies, funnily enough. Yeah. I mean, I didn't talk about the pea allergy because I made that up. But um, I did talk about the gluten thing. Mm. And how, you know, people don't respect you when you have (laughs) allergies. They will not respect your boundaries and like know that you can't have certain things or care that you can't have certain things. Mm. Um especially in restaurants. Yeah, yeah. And so it was an interesting discussion actually hearing other people's experiences as well. Because I have like a gluten intolerance. Yes. It makes me have um migraines and makes me feel very sick but other people have like i mean other people could nearly die or could yeah, die you know potentially because they have to have EpiPens and you know and having and hearing these stories and just like having had the experiences that i've had where people don't take my stuff seriously i can only imagine how scary it could be yes if you have something that could send you into anaphylaxis and you could um be you know very seriously ill yeah and you know you're risking your life basically you're putting your life in the hands of restaurateurs and if they don't take it seriously or if their staff don't take it seriously you could die and some people have died and that's just awful Mm, absolutely so yeah it was a really interesting discussion and they had an allergy specialist from Hillington Hospital who um, gave a really interesting perspective on how things should be much easier basically but they're not um due to lack of understanding and all that kind of stuff there's lots of barriers to getting hold of people like him yeah um but actually once you do get hold of someone like that actually it could be very easy to get a diagnosis and Mm. you know and to have the treatment that you need 
it's just really fucking hard to get to him in the first place. Yeah, exactly. It took ages for you to be diagnosed. Well, you didn't even get diagnosed. You almost self-diagnosed yourself. Yeah, that's what I said on the show. I was like, yeah. I self-diagnosed. I am now living in this trap that I am in, that I could never get a diagnosis now. Because mm. it's too late. I would have to just start consuming gluten again, and that's not going to happen. Oh, messed up. So um, I'm stuck. <laughs> oh, dear. You're stuck with us. Um, but if you're on BBC iPlayer, BBC Sounds, make sure you go to listen back on that show, Mobin's show, uh, and you'll hear Jojo B uh, solo without me holding her hand, which is amazing. Because I don't need my hand held. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She does not. Sometimes I do. Uh, currently she does. She needs a lot of love. And you know what? She's going to get it because this month is the month of love. Extra love from the listeners and from myself. Jojo underscore B. I mean, he said it to you last, so now he's going to have to follow through with this. Anyway. Put my side. London <laughs> Miller. So the London Miller this year was in Southall Park, as it was last year. Yes, it when was. When we also attended. Yes, we did. But this time around, we actually attended as press. You know, we got ourselves our press passes uh, to conduct some interviews, get some vibe, catch the atmosphere, uh, and be professional as podcast hosts. Yes, and eat masala chips jat. Yes. Yeah, so every time we go to the Mila now, uh, it, it's almost become a rite of passage now, isn't it? Yes. To ha- go to, I don't even know what the name of the, the Rikri is. It's like That's terrible because we've been going there for like ages now. Yeah, I guess it's just called masala chips g- guy. Or, you know, masala chips. We people. are terrible people. They're brilliant. I'm so sorry. We will find out what their name is. Yes. And we will let you know next show. Yes. Because yes. they deserve a shout out because they are not only lovely people, mm. but they make very tasty food. They do indeed. And because I can't eat the samosa chat. Yep. They make me, because they do, they make masala chips. Yes. They make me masala chips chat. It looks amazing. He never gets to try it because it's mine. Yep. I but I get to I have, share. I get to have the masala chips wrap which is masala chips with mozzarella different chutneys in a wrap toasted oh my god <sighs> i don't know how i still alive i'd seriously like you know i, I kind of feel now that i need to i need to broaden my horizons for next year you know I've, oh no, I've, i'll stick to the masala chips too. yeah i always say this at the end of the miller and then by the time it comes to next year i'm just like hook this shit up to my veins fam you know, it's that good. It is that good. It's not the only reason we went to the Miller. This I is what we're going to talk about. Yes, that's one side plot to the Miller. This year, the, the weather kind of didn't help a little bit, I feel. It was a bit grey the day that we went. Yeah, it was a bit grim. But still, there was still a great atmosphere and still a great vibe. A lot of people turned up. Yep. Which is great to see. Because, you know, for, you know what? I'll, I'll be honest. As an artist in the past, I have had issues with the London Miller. Mostly because there were a, a number of times where there wasn't the platforms for artists like myself to be heard. And if it was, it would be like a little slot here and there kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, there'd be an issue where like, oh, why are they having the same artists every year? Why don't they give people like myself a showcase? Blah, 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 blah. And, I, you know, like, I think now the older I've got, I've learned to appreciate what the Miller is and what it represents. And it really is one of the biggest cultural festivals for our community anywhere in the UK. And unless we support it, then the people who make decisions, the people, the hierarchies, 
are going to start shutting these things down. Yeah. Like they did with alchemy, which was like an integral part of our social year. And always packed and sold out. I do not understand the whole alchemy thing. Yeah. But I mean, that's another thing that we'll come back to at some point, I guess. But yeah. when it comes to Mela, like coming from Newcastle and not having many Asian events to go to and not much where you could share the culture. Yeah. Because we're all kind of spread out and, and all that kind of stuff. Actually, Newcastle Miller was like a big thing. Mm, yeah. And it was really fun that the weekend that it would be on, it would on, be on for two days. Yes. And we'd go and, you know, we'd eat loads of food that we love, but we don't always get to have unless my mum makes it or whatever. Yeah. And we'd all, you know, and I would know everyone at Miller. You'd get to meet all the people you know in one place. Absolutely. And you'd have a laugh and they'd have artists that would never come to Newcastle otherwise. Yeah. Because why would they? The community's not big enough there. Yeah. Um, And it would be, it'd just be really fun. Yeah. And I think maybe where there are bigger Asian populations, you kind of end up taking things like Mila's for granted. For granted. Yeah. Um, it's just a thing that you should have or whatever. But actually, they're not a given. They um, take a lot of hard work to put on. Yes. As you'll find out when you hear some, some of the, the interviews. interviews. Yep. Um, but also like just the funding is really hard to get. Yeah, yeah. And the funding gets smaller and smaller every year. So we have to show the support so that they can justify getting those grants and stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, like it's it's one of the big millers in the UK uh, and uh, people living in London, I guess, are just accustomed to it happening every year. And so it's just like, oh, I can't be bothered with Miller this year. I'll go next year or something. You know, I'll, I'll catch it another time. And then when it's, you know, God forbid it's gone, that's when people will sit back and be like, shit, we should have done more. We should have gone to yeah. support. We should have been there, you know, while it was around. Um, and then it, it's too little too late. You know? And don't take for granted how much hard work it takes. Like one of my very close friends, you know, organises or is one of the people who organises the Miller in Newcastle. And mm. he works really, really hard on that. And it's an all year round planning thing. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, again, what you'll hear later on, just how much effort goes into it all. Yeah. So don't take it for granted and don't think that, they put it on, you know, they decided last week what who was going to be on stage. That's not how it works. No, no, absolutely not. It's a lot of uh, meticulous planning uh, and thought process. And they're always constantly trying to change, um, you know, the, you know, the different attractions that are on every year. The main stage is its own thing, but there's a diversity with the different stages. Um, it's it just, you know, for me, it, it's a massive cultural gathering. A milla is just that. It's a coming together of people. And, you know, for our communities, there aren't that many events that bring all the communities together. You know, whether you're from an Indian background, Pakistani background, Bangladeshi, Sri Lankan, you know, this is one of the key events to bring all those people together. And I feel now more than ever, it needs our collective communities to come together and, and just celebrate our, our culture, celebrate who we are. And where else can you do that but the Miller? Absolutely. You know? Um, yeah, and if you ever think that you're not being represented, your culture is not being represented or whatever, then 
put your ideas forward. Exactly, exactly. It's such an open platform. And the Mela, the organizers are always constantly looking out for new acts, you know, new ideas, new options. Um, because, you know, that's what we're all about. We're about progression. And, you know, speak up. You know, if you feel like you want to be involved, they're, they're looking for you, you know, creative types. People like ourselves, Jojo B. Yes, indeed. The native immigrants. Uh, we were there, happy to be there. And we were there on the Saturday. Um, so, yeah, like I was saying, a little bit grim. Um, but some great, In terms of weather. In is. terms of weather. But some great acts performing that day. And I guess, um, you know, we didn't get a chance to see Raghav because we have a baby. We had to get him to bed. We had to get him to bed. I was gutted. I yeah. haven't seen Raghav perform live for years. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's, it, it, you know, it ties back to our show a few weeks ago on the history of British Asian music when we were discussing him. And I thought it would be a nice way to kind of like, you know, come almost full circle because, you know, Raghav was someone that we always used to see at the Miller like 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, and because we'd just spoken about him during that show, it'd be nice to kind of like, be like, oh yeah, Raghav at the Miller, like a bit of a you know reminiscing, poignant moment. Yeah, but there was a lot of reminiscing and poignancy with the sounds of Smethwick oh performances. We, me and Bubs were loving it. Yes, he's a big fan of Bangla. Well, yeah, clearly, um, and it was just amazing to see live bands from the you know like all the classic '80s groups all together doing their thing. Um, <laughs> I got really shy yes so they were all standing backstage and i got really shy and just didn't speak to any of them yeah see i i spoke to kuljit bamra yeah and i had a good little conversation with him said look we'd like to speak to you uh on the podcast and he was like absolutely let's make it happen uh, so i said sure i'll be back in five minutes and then i never saw him again <laughs> for the rest of the day um, he's a busy man he's a busy man indeed you make it happen there and then love. i should i know like, but do you know what this is like i'm always the person on the other side I'm the interviewee 99 times out of 100. This yeah. time being the interviewer was like a real surreal moment for me. Yes. You know, um, but I, I, you know, I managed to pull myself together and conduct some great interviews. <laughs> you say, if you say so yourself. I do indeed. <laughs> um, uh, and we're going to get to one of those right now. So this year's hosts for the London Miller were Raj Guy and Amit Jonna, both of Sunrise Radio, mm -hmm. fame. Uh, and Amit is uh, a good friend of mine, known him for a very, very long time. We did our first gigs together almost 20 years ago. And I caught up with him backstage after some hosting duties. Mm -hmm. And this is what he had to say. Right here with the London Miller, with, well, I'd say a very old friend of mine. We're going to show our age now. Uh, the first time we met was back in the year 2000 wow. when we were doing gigs with Sanjay Sanj in random bars in Southampton, of all places. <laughs> I'm talking about the man like Amit Channa, legend in this game, legend in several fields. But we're here at the London Miller, who's actually presenting this year. How are you finding the challenges of presenting this year? Oh, there's never anything challenging about putting me in front of a, a mic and a crowd, man. It's, it's where I'm, I'm the happiest and I'm, um, I feel safe in front of an audience with a mic in my hand. Uh, and it's always a pleasure. I used to, I hosted London Miller a couple of years ago when I used to work at the Asian Network. And this is the first time I've done it uh, as being an employee of Sunrise Radio. So it's nice to have been through the kind of mills and do it for different kind of brands, but still come back to that brilliant London Miller feeling. Absolutely. Well, look, so you've been creating music, I think, the longest, more than all the other parts of your career. So 
it must be almost 20 years almost in that instance surely um, in that time and, to, and you look at the Miller the way it is today how, how do you feel that the scene has actually progressed or if, if it has in actual fact progressed um, since the times of the late 90s and the early 2000s I mean that's interesting a, a double edged sword question really because it has changed of course and in some ways it hasn't uh, what's brilliant is the stuff that hasn't changed is good because you can hear in the background you've got a legendary singer who's Balbir Bujangi who was one of the first ever Bhangra bands from Birmingham way back in the 70s and he is performing at London Miller right now with some of the best Bhangra and Punjabi musicians in the country alongside Shin DCS alongside Apana Sagit so that stuff that hasn't changed is brilliant uh, the stuff that has changed which is good is that London Miller has become so much more of a diverse stage now because the audience is diverse there's a generation of young British Asians who love Bhangra when they're at a wedding yeah. or when their parents are having it on in the car but they don't necessarily want to come and watch it at a festival or a miller like this yeah. so we've got young artists you know people who have followed suit and even what you've done man you know young, young lyricists young rappers young R&B singers yeah. um, young people who are doing kind of Indo fusion stuff yeah. you know and it's beautiful to have seen the stage of London Miller progress to a point where it's not just one tuned ear yeah. it's not just Bangor and it's not just Bollywood it's everything yeah okay so um, our second episode of the Native Immigrants podcast we talked about Asians in British pop culture and how we felt that since the early 2000s um, there's been a bit of a dearth when it comes to the way Asians are being represented not only on TV but also on film um, and we feel like it's almost like a, a pre-Benilat Beckham and a post-Benilat Beckham because obviously since um, 9-11 it, it feels like everything that's involving British Asians on TV is either terrorism or forced marriages or all the negative stereotypes that happen within our communities yeah. why do you feel it's changed so much and and where is the diversity for roles for British Asians in film and TV today? Uh, multi-layered question. Yeah. Um, uh, where, Pressure. where is the diverse <laughs> roles for British Asians on TV? In America, yes. sadly. Uh, where has it changed in terms of representation? Yes, it is all terrorists and it is all uh, arranged marriages still. Really interesting that you're using Benilak Beckham as a, a historical moment yeah. now. You know, it's really strange that film is like 16, 17 years old. Yeah, I could, the way we felt is it's like one of the last few films that we've seen British Asians being normal. Yeah. Just a normal British Asian family. And it could have been, it could have been a, an African family. It could have been a South American family. It's just a, an everyday life of a, family, of a family of that type here in the UK. But it seems like since then, all of the roles have, have involved like terrorism. There has to be a, a, a theme. There has to be a negative theme around all those concepts. Yeah. And so that's what we're, it's what we're trying to ask is why is that and how, and how do we change that up? It's the people making the choices. It's the people making the decisions. They're the ones that need to move over now and let other people become decision makers and gatekeepers yes. and, and creatives. We need more writers. We need more directors. Yes, we've got great actors and we're all standing in queues for the great work because it's so limited. Yeah. There's not enough of it. So the people now, what I'm encouraging myself to do and other people is to go away and write stuff, to go away and direct stuff. I'm directing my first theatre show that opens yes. next week for Rifko Theatre called Mushy Lyrically Speaking and it's about a kid with a debilitating who uses rap and lyrical narration to tell his inner voice you know that's the kind of stuff I would have died for as a young yeah, actor absolutely. to be in you know so it's, it's about creating it it's really interesting I did, a, I did a series for BBC iPlayer a few years ago called My Jihad yeah. which came out of BBC Writers Room and it was a one-off 
episode that the writer, Shai uh, Khan, uh, I think his name is, I can't remember his exact name, but that did so well on iPlayer that they then commissioned him to do, write another three episodes for it, which is where I got involved. I played a really young Molvi oh, in wow. a mosque who is trying to get these two people together that clearly love each other, but they're so different in their life, their walks of life and their beliefs of Islam and how, how much they're into it and not into it, yeah. that he's trying to help them get together because it's the gripe of life and yeah. the gripe of belief and culture. And the brilliant thing about that show is, it's although it was called My Jihad, it had nothing to do with the way that the Western press has turned that word around. Jihad yes. means goal, it means success, it means aim. Yeah. You know, and now it's been bastardized in a word, in a way that it's a negative connotation. Yes. That series has never crossed from iPlayer onto mainstream wow. BBC TV. But Murdered by My Father and Murdered by My Boyfriend went from iPlayer onto BBC One and BBC Two. So we are only reinforcing our own stereotypes and the people making those choices are allowing those ones to cross over, but not the stuff that looks at things lightly and, 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 and isn't about terrorism or Islamophobia or it's just about a couple of kids that really love each other and want to find a way to be together. Yeah. Do you think then we need to see more Asians in the commissioning rooms, in the decision making rooms? Because like, my wife, she was one of the only Asian people in her entire floor in one of the biggest record labels in the UK and it feels like there's not enough of people within our ethnicities in some of the more I'd say powerful positions or influential decision making within the creative arts and the bigger companies that way do we need to see more people of our, our our culture within those circles we just need to see more people of color in those positions yeah. it's not just one culture it's every culture you know yes the black community in the uk have managed to assimilate in a way that they are there are people of that ethnicity that are making decisions but they're all going away making their own work yes. what we don't do is come together as a community and go you know what we are going to fight this and we're going to do it together yes. Yes. it's about oh i want to be better than you and that's yeah. that's that is an, a cultural thing that we have as yes. asians unfortunately you know, there's a series on, uh, I think it's on Netflix called Blackish. I don't know if you've yes, ever seen it. Yes, yes, yes. Brilliant series. Yeah, yeah. And he becomes VP of a department that is about cultural diversity. <laughs> so he goes home and he goes, I'm a VP. And she goes, of what department? He goes, cultural diversity. Like, we are still only being put in those positions those, that is yeah. reflective of our community and our background and our culture. Absolutely. That is the ceiling we have to break. Yes, exactly. Well, all right, going on to a little bit more fun side. Um, so there is a new Asian family in EastEnders. Uh, obviously, a lot of people would know you from EastEnders and the Ferreira family. What words of advice would you give to the new Panessa boys that are going to be entering EastEnders going forward? It's really interesting. When I saw that pop up on my timeline on Facebook, it was really late at night. And Jazz Diol, who is playing the turban-wearing character yes. of the Panessas, he had put it up on his timeline. I congratulated him. I said, congrats, Jazz. Uh, I think it's brilliant that this is happening. And he sent me an instant WhatsApp, literally seconds after I liked his post, and went, Mr. Channon, me and you need to talk. <laughs> We've got a lot to discuss. Yeah, and we have. You know, I think the, the best advice that I can give anybody going into a machine like EastEnders is stay on top of your game. Be aware of what your storyline is. Go and have meetings with the execs and ask them what you're doing six months down the line. It's something that we didn't necessarily do because we weren't. In, we didn't know we had the ability to do that. I would give them the cleanest, solest advice and go be on top of your storyline. Find out what is happening for you six months down the line yeah. and make sure if you like it that they stick with it. Yeah. You know, and I think um, 
rep now that you're there, representation is really important. Don't allow things in the storyline to suddenly go against your better judgment. If you don't like something, stand up for it and say no. Nitin Ganatra made things happen in that show that no other actor, no matter what colour they were from, background yeah. they were from, he stood up to stuff and went, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I won't do it. This doesn't make sense. This is not culturally correct. He had scenes from Sholle recreated in episodes yes. with Paul Sharma, who played his brother in a shopping trolley. That's all stuff that only we can bring. The people writing that stuff and researching it won't know about that. So offer it, give it to them. They will lap it up because they want the knowledge and they want the cultural references. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Amit, for discussing this with us. Um, tell us a little bit more about the new play with the Rifko Arts and when it's actually going to be um, out there on uh, theatres. So my directorial debut for the stage with Rifko Theatre. I'm an associate director there now. I was appointed there in October last year. Uh, the show opens next Friday, the 6th of September. It opens at Watford Palace Theatre. It goes on a UK tour, Birmingham, North Northampton, Arcola in London, Slough, Leeds Playhouse. And it's basically about a kid that was on a TV show a few years ago called Educating Yorkshire. And it was a young Pakistani boy from Dewsbury who had the most debilitating stammer. And his teacher, in a moment of wisdom, having watched the King's speech the night before, gave him a pair of headphones in his classroom and asked him to read. And there was this magical moment that he was able to read this poem, ironically called The Moment, um, by Margaret Atwood. And he was able to read it without stammering. So Pravesh and I, who is the artistic director of Rifko, went about kind of meeting Mushy, the real Mushy, and the real Mr. Burr and his teacher, and talking about their story after that show. Yeah. And we realized there was such a lovely story to tell about this kid who basically was in a TV show, and then we knew nothing about him. Yeah. And actually, his struggle with his stammer started after that TV show. Oh, wow. Because okay. he, in his mind, he thought the nation thought he was cured. And in order to not be a fake or be a lie, he locked himself in his bedroom and talked to call centers because they were the only people that would listen to him to rehabilitate himself. And so my choice of trying to stage a play about a kid with a stammer, how do you do that without having minutes and hours of silence of a kid struggling? Well, you do it through rap and you do it through lyrical narration. And Rackstar has written the lyrics for uh, the show brilliantly, you know, the inside head of Mushy. Uh, And we get to know what he would have said or wanted to say or could have said if he didn't have the stammer. Amazing, amazing. Well, if you're in the area of Rifka Arts in Watford, make sure you check out Mushi when it's there. And wherever it's touring in the rest of the UK, make sure you go out and support. Supporting the creative arts within the British Asian community is something we bang on about every single week on the Native Immigrants podcast. So make sure you do. It's education, it's discussion, it's collaboration, and it's support. Thank you so much, Amit Chanda. My pleasure. You can check it out at Rifko Theatre for information or follow uh, Rifko on Instagram and Facebook at Rifko Theatre. Thanks, man. Big up yourself. Yeah. Big up Amit Janna there, great guy. Um, and yeah, a lot of things that he spoke about is things that we've also discussed previously on the show about the diversity of roles uh, for uh, Asian actors now being in the States um, and how also that we need to get more people of our um, ethnicities in the, in the boardrooms and the decision-making rooms. Uh, it's something that we speak about at length on this show. Um, total agreement. Completely. So it's old stuff that I've said before. <laughs> yeah. I think he just listened to our previous shows and stole my what? ideas, to be honest. Um, but you know, what? it's all it's all beginning to make sense to me now. That is crazy. He's a secret listener. Secret listener. But you know, there's those, you know, there's, uh, you know, behind the scenes listeners are my favorite ones because they listen, but then they don't want to tell you that they listen to your show. It's but okay. We appreciate the listens. We love you. We Give love us, you. We love the, the numbers. Month, we, this is the month of love. We're showing love. We love you. Um, but he also spoke about Mushi there 
and I went to see it this week. I don't want to hear about it now, though. Yes, because I will be reviewing it on our next show. So I won't go into it in too much detail now, but listen in for the full review of Mushy on our next episode. Yay! Dun dun dun! Baited breath. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger shit. While we were also there, while we were scooping around basically the rest of the miller, uh, trying to look for people to interview. I really wish I'd worn a hat with a little piece of paper that says press on it. Yes. And, and you know, I would have pulled out like a pencil out of a thing and just like licked it and then like had pulled out my notepad. From behind your ear. Behind my ear, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I got I got a hot story here off the press, you know. <laughs> and written in shorthand. And like, you know, one of those like long kind of like, like beige anoraks. A Mac, you mean? A Mac, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why are we american in my head when we <laughs> talk about this like 1930s american as well yeah and then we, we run into like the the room and just be like stop the presses you know i wish that was our life yeah it could be we're, we're on the on the path but anyway um <laughs> as we were bopping around we managed to catch up with amandeep singh aka inquisitive now, he was doing something extraordinary there at the Mela. He was doing like live painting, yes. live creating, drawing. It was amazing. It was awesome. And he, we caught up with him and he discussed exactly what he was doing there that day. Right, so I am here with Amandeep Singh and you people will know him a lot better as Inquisitive here at the London Miller. Now, Amun, or should I call you Ink? What do you prefer? Whatever you want, brother. We go back. So whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah, I'd like to think that um, him creating the artwork for the recipe mixtape is what really set him off into superstardom. So you know what, bro? You're welcome. Uh, It's a recipe to success, you know. Oh, my God. Use my lines back on me. (laughs) Unbelievable. All right, so let's tell people what you're doing here today at the London Miller. Okay, brother. So uh, firstly, thank you for having me on, brother. Honestly, like I say all the time, man, you know, Every platform counts, man. So much love to you. Secondly, I am here at the London Mellow representing uh, Elephant Atta, man. Because you know what? Elef- wow. Elephant Atta, yeah. Think about it. Giza, they are such a big part of everything we do. Think about all the family events you have. There's always roti involved in chapati. Standard. So I thought, you know what? Well, I got commissioned to do an art piece for them to celebrate and showcase their story and being the nation's best uh, Atta. So um, I'm here doing that. I'm creating a massive mural down there, 20 foot mural. Fantastic. It's just raining a bit, but you know what? We'll get it done. We'll get it done. Standard British weather, yeah, unfortunately. Um, now, like, so since you first started illustrating, how has art progressed within the British Asian community? Because you've probably started probably almost have been a decade now of basically getting into illustrating. In that time, like, have you seen any advancements? Has there been any progression? Or has it still been a hindrance for creativity within our communities? I think that's a really good question now, but I definitely feel it's excelled. 100%. I mean, when I started this in 2011, bro, you know, I was probably yeah. one of the only ones doing it at the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And I remember going out on this idea of doing an exhibition yeah. by myself. And everyone's like, you want to do an exhibition, but you wear a turban and you're brown and brown people don't do art. <laughs> I'm like, God, but you know what? Um, uh, like I said, man, I thank a lot of my, my family, my friends, because they really supported me. They said, well, if you like art, go for it. In the time of 10 years, I'm actually celebrating 10 years next year. So keep, keep a lookout for that. Um, I've seen a lot of artists come through and it's such a, a beautiful feeling. But a lot of artists do reach out to me and say, how do I get started? How do I do that? I'm not saying I'm the pinnacle, I'm the, the number one, but I, I do appreciate artists um, wanting to know more, yeah. wanting to understand, talking and collaborating. And I think that's a beautiful thing because when I wanted to know what to do, 
I didn't know who to go to. Yeah, absolutely. And now you see female artists, which is even more beautiful. You see male artists. And you got artists in terms of like poetry and um, drama and acting and chefs. And you know, Giza, it's just nice to know that we're all celebrating the arts finally in the communities because it's so important. It's just as important as dentistry or law yeah, or yeah. business. Not saying that those uh, uh, professions aren't any good. They're just as important, but so are the arts. Yeah, absolutely. So do you find that there is that same level of support like obviously i when making music from about 10 15 years ago we had a number of different artists to support each other now with the british asian scene it's become a little bit more i don't know like there's a bit of segregation sometimes between artists and, and if everyone's got their own little thing going on do you find that there's that same applies within the art within the british asian community or is there a real cohesive level of support and even with your families as well like you said basically coming through your family were very supportive of you yeah, to get into yeah, arts, yeah, but that's yeah. not necessarily the case for a lot of people within our community. Yeah. For me, do you know what, bro? I was very fortunate. My dad's a calligrapher, so he understands the arts. Yeah, he under- he's a musician too. He, he understands what creativity is. So as soon as I told him I love illustration, he never once made me feel like I can't do it. Whereas a lot of kids I went to school with and uni, yeah. their parents shied them away straight away. Like, no, nope, you're not doing that. You're going straight into law. You're going straight into this. Um, and coming back onto your other question about, you know, do you think we have the support? I don't think we do. Yeah. It's a very independent thing, bro. Um, like I said, it'll be, it's a blessing when you have your family with you, your, your friends supporting you. But who else do you go to? What academies do you go to? What kind of... It's only so much uni can tell you. But at the end of the day, it's going to be down to you, right? It's yeah. going to be down to you to push yourself. Like, I decided I want to travel overseas to do an exhibition. Yeah. No one told me to do that. Yeah, I decided if no one can hear me on the internet... I'm going to make movements by physically going. And I did. And nine years on, I've done 24 exhibitions around the world. Amazing. And here I am with Amazing. you. Amazing. So, so, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Like I said, we, we, we speak every week on our podcast about support within our communities and how really that is sometimes holding us back because we don't get that same level as we used to. And you kind of think if all of our collective communities, Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Sri Lankan, all came together as Asians in the UK, how far we would progress. We progress together. And unfortunately, that's one of the things that's holding us back. But hopefully with people like yourself to inspire the next generation of artists to come through, we can get a bigger, wider community of creatives Definitely. to move forward and hopefully go into much bigger and better things thereafter. Definitely. Bro, do you know what the number one thing is? Kill the ego, man. We yes. got to kill the ego. Yes. This person's done this thing. We got to do it too. Yes. This person's successful in that. Why can't we do it? Rather than... Do you know what a beautiful thing I, I always find more so overseas than in the UK? And one of the beautiful things is that people out there see you as collaboration rather than competition. Yes. And I love yes. that. because Especially in America. Oh, mate. 100%. And one of the reasons I go out there to the North and, and in Canada is because when I go out there, they're like, they want to find ways to excel with me rather than... Oh, you're, you're that ink artist. So, yeah. uh, okay, let me see what I can do to overachieve you. And, and I wish we got killed that because out here in the UK, I, I got so much of that where I would ask help. I would ask, what can I do? Never get the answers. For some reason, my calls were never answered, but now they all answered, you know? What a surprise. <laughs> but kill the ego. We got killed kill the ego, man. We got to support each other, man. Like I said, this is, bro, I'm here because you're one of my old school boys. I'm here to support the movement. You're supporting me. We got to be doing that more often. Absolutely. 100%. Thank you so much to Amandeep Singh, aka Inquisitive. Make sure you follow his movements. Uh, tell us the Twitter handles, Instagram handles. That's right, bro. I appreciate that. Yes, everything is at Inquisitive. It's a K in there, so it's I-N-K-Q-U-I-S-I-T-I-V-E uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube Snapchat and whatever I'm sure you can find me on all sorts of social media huh? More power to you my brother, big up yourself Much love brother, thank you Shout to Inquisitive uh, Make sure you obviously follow all his movements And the things that he's doing And yeah, great guy, nice guy I'm currently looking at the picture that he's done That hangs in our 
living room. Yeah, actually, that's one thing we forgot to mention to him uh, is that we have one of his pieces up on our wall. But he also, like I mentioned there, created the artwork for the recipe mixtape. Oh, yes. Which is like probably the best thing he's ever done, to be fair. Even though he's done his massive murals in Oslo and big pieces of the London Milla and toured around the world. That's the one, fam. Yes, it is. Woman of so many words. <laughs> um, I have a headache. Yeah, exactly. Now you've given we one too. Um, but on the other side of the break, we're going to be catching up with the amazing DJ Ritu, who was the house DJ for that day. Go power. And also Monty Panesar. Random. Yeah, extremely random. <laughs> but awesome to get an interview with him at the Mela. And lastly, with the main man himself, Ajay Chabra, the organiser of the London Mela. See you on the other side, people. Yo, people, this is Shin from DCS, and you're listening to the Native Immigrants Podcast. Keep it there. Welcome back to the second half of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. Ailing. <laughs> ailing Jojo V. Ailing. It's no longer the esteemed. It's the ailing Jojo V. Just want a cup of tea. And this is our London Mela special. Um, and so you heard some great interviews in the first half of the show. And we're going to continue the second half of the show with more of the same. Uh, and we were lucky enough to be joined by DJ Ritu, who was the house DJ for that day. And if you don't know who DJ Ritu is, she's a legendary DJ in the British Asian industry, DJing for almost like 30 years now, I feel. Has it really been that long? Yeah. You know, I was speaking to her and she was discussing like 1986 and stuff. I was like, oh my God. Wow. That's a long time ago. But she's still on top of a game and she was a house DJ for that day and she had a lot of interesting things to talk about. Right, we're here at the London Miller with the legendary DJ Ritsu. And so you've been the house DJ here for today, for the whole of today. But I've known you for almost 15, 20 years from the old Kutch Kutch nights with Sanjay Sanj. That's how I came through the scene. But you were making music and been involved in music long before then, in the days when there literally was no Asian DJs, let alone female Asian DJs. How do you feel that the, the scene and the culture has progressed from the first days of you first getting out there and DJing? Oh gosh, I think there's been progress in, in so many different ways. I first started DJing in 1986. Wow. Um, I know, I, even I feel a bit <laughs> wow, because it was intended to just be, you know, a, a part-time thing, a hobby thing yeah. when I was at art school. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe I'm still working <laughs> 33 years on. Good. Um, but, um, okay, so let, let me just kind of steer you back through the Mellas. The first one that I played at was Lambeth Mellor wow. in... 1990 something 1991 or 92 oh, wow. yeah. and that was um, it was just such a special experience being there yeah. the bands on stage included the Joy Bungler sound system yeah, for example um, but I remember being at that melon just thinking wow uh, you know isn't it incredible that there's so many South Asians here and also at that one there were many um, non-Asians everyone was just sitting on the grass eating ice cream Amazing. and enjoying the different kinds of music and, yeah. and soaking up what was a majority South Asian cultural festival yes um, 
And to be honest with you, um, wind forward to 2019, I'm still as excited about being at Mellors. Um, I still think it's a great opportunity for all of us to come together, um, even if it's just to go and have loads of samosa and you know curry and what have you. Um, but musically, wow. And today on the stage here at London Mellor, there's been a special commission who are actually on, they're playing right now, which is featuring um, the sounds of Smethwick in Birmingham. And uh, it's been put together by Kuljit Bamra, who is, um, you know, one of the major, major Bhangra uh, pioneers and godfathers in this country and worldwide. <coughs> and um, it's phenomenal to hear them and to hear a live band as opposed to what you get at so many festivals now, which is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. DJs. Well, people just, you know, miming to a CD in the background and doing a 20-minute set. Yeah, So this is really special. Absolutely. Well, like I said, that was the real glory period for Bhangra music here in the UK. Um, Do you feel Bhangra itself has actually progressed since then, or do you actually feel it's gone backwards? I think there's been some exciting permutations and um, and developments, but what we have lost a lot of is the essence of live bands, uh, live musicians, and that's a shame. Yeah. But there's not that many places for these bands to perform in anymore. Um, I was just talking to Celinda Perdesi. and he was saying, you know, how rare it is for them to get an opportunity to actually play on a proper stage yeah, and yeah. do what they do. And, yeah. and you know, um, but I think some of the guys that are on stage today with the Smedic um, project um, have had the opportunity to get, get out there with the West End Bhangra Musical Theatre yeah, Production. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that's a really good novel way that, you know, some of them found a, a way through the... Um, the uh, vacuum of other stage opportunities. Yes, yeah, fantastic. Um, and now, women in the British Asian music industry, the scene. Um, now, you came at a time was literally like I, I can count on a hand how many there are. We've come to a point now where there are a lot more females in the British Asian music industry and making music, but there still isn't enough, I feel, to balance the equilibrium. Um, it, do you feel that uh, they're being held back? Or what more needs to happen to, to incorporate more women into music and creating music and the platforms for them to be able to perform and showcase their talent? Well, I think you're absolutely right that there has been some kind of explosion of female talent, South Asian female talent, certainly in the last five years at least. Yes. And that's great to see. And also, um, there's a great deal of diversity and eclecticism in terms of what the different women are doing. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's really good too. Um, but if I can give you a little example of what holds us back and has always held us back, yeah. I think, to a large degree. Oh, amazing. Uh, a guitar uh, riff happening in the background. Well, Apna Sangeet about to sing Apna Sangeet sings Apna Sangeet. We spoke about Apna Sangeet on our last show about the history of British Asian music. It's one of my wife's favourite tracks. And to hear it being played live almost like 30 years since it first came out is an amazing amazing look and here at Southall 
I, I know Bhangra, the home of Bhangra is Birmingham, people talk about, but I'm a Southall boy, so I've got my West London cultural roots, a little bit of allegiance towards that side of London. Um, so yeah, amazing. Can't beat the Southall sound, but yeah. we're enjoying the, the Brummie sound, yeah, yeah, absolutely. courtesy of Upness. And funny, we both managed that beat, the intro, yes, the minute exactly. we heard it. Absolutely, straight away. Um, Okay, so um, I was back, yeah. I was recently involved with um, curating a festival, yeah. a South Asian festival in the Greater London area, sure. and um, what can I say? I put forward they wanted the the, the top dogs wanted to have uh, more women on the lineup, and yeah. they also wanted a, a greater um, sort of range of genres represented. Yes. Um, and so I did all of that. I gave them the artistic vision that they wanted. And then I found that um, they took the advice of a guy that had been advising them for years. Yeah. And he actually slated all the women that I'd recommended. Oh my days. Um, so he didn't do it in front of me. He did it with these council officers. And I, when, I, when that was fed back to me, I thought, well... That is one of the things that, is, that has held yeah, holding us women back. back. Absolutely. Um, and um, I mean, what I've found uh, as a woman myself is, to be honest, if I hadn't created my own opportunities and my own outlets, my DJing would have remained a hobby yeah. and I would have stopped working years ago because if you've got nowhere to take your creativity, nowhere for it to be shown and shared with people, and if you can't finance your creativity, yeah. so if we're talking, for example, about a woman with a guitar, a, a, a rock guitar, and you know she's wanted to record tracks and release music and put it out onto YouTube or whatever, you've got to be able to finance that. You've got to pay for a recording studio and a rehearsal studio and session musicians that work with you and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you've got to pay your bills. Absolutely. So how do you do that if you don't get books? to play at anything because blokes like the one I've just told you about are going around slagging off all the women and even calling them slags for that That's matter. horrendous. Horrendous. It's crazy how in, in all walks of life men are still holding women back within our community and it's, it's horrible to see it's 2019 and we're still going through the same same issues as 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago. It's horrendous. But on a positive note, um, going forward, for a young female who loves her music, really wants to get into DJing, but has no idea how to get involved, how to incorporate that style into what she's trying to do, what words of advice would you give to the young Asian, British Asian female DJs that want to try to make a name for themselves? Well, firstly, I'd say, you know, do it if you really, really are sure and committed about what you want to yes. do. Don't, don't yep. just go out there with a laptop because everyone else is doing it Definitely. and and because it, 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 it seems like a nice thing to do. Um, because it's not that easy. You no. have to be able to, you know, you've got to be able to judge a crowd. You've got to be able to hold a crowd. We, we have had one or two women that have played at our clubs and they have not been able to do that. Oh, really? I mean, oh. When I say one or two women, I mean, not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah women, <laughs> no, no, no. women younger than yeah, me. absolutely, yeah. Women, women younger than me. And, um, and, and, and I was very aware, um, certainly in the case of one of those clubs, where the crowd are quite tough. Yeah, And absolutely. they're not... Asian crowds are tough regardless of where you are, what you're doing, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's like, it's kind of, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there where you can just get slammed, basically. Yes, yes. Um, so don't do it that way, but be, you know, work at your craft. It's like with anything else. You, if, you, if you type, you need to be able to do that well. You know, whatever you do, you need to be able to do it well. So put in the work, 
practice, practice, practice. Um, and but be sure that you want to do it. Don't do it for fame reasons. Yes. I'll give you an example, yes. Swami. I mean, like recently, I um, I was running a, a, a workshop for a, a bunch of students who were, who came from all over the world. Um, and they wanted to make radio. Right. Um, so there I was running this radio production course. And um, one of the first questions I asked them was, why do you want to be in radio? Right. Um, and the answers I got were, to be famous oh. or to make money. And, Unbelievable. And I, and I thought, oh, my God. You're literally in it for all the wrong reasons, my friend. But we live in a... We're in the celebrity age now, yeah, you know. Pe- people... Their, their life stories are, are built on their Instagram page. Yes, yes. And I think, um, you know, it's quite different to when you, you and I started off. Absolutely. It was for the passion um, rather than anything else. And we were making nothing back then, pittance, you know, but we did it for the love of the art, for the love of the creativity. Well, yeah, but I think also, I mean, I know when I started, no one else wanted to be a DJ, yeah, not yeah. women or men. It yeah, wasn't yeah. a popular thing to do. Yeah. And, and also you couldn't just go out with a laptop and say you were a DJ. Yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> Um, but yeah so you know in my case it was I wanted to share music with people yes it was never to be famous or, or to get you know win partners or, or to yeah. get rich yes um, so I think where your motivation comes from can to a large degree dictate where you end up absolutely absolutely well they're influential absolutely amazing words of advice from one of the most legendary DJs in our scene male or female Go out and check out Gooch Gooch Nights if you want to see one of the best DJs doing her thing. She's here at the London Miller today. Thank you so much to DJ V2. And hopefully we'll see you in another 25 years time. Still doing your thing. Still showing these kids how it's done. Because if legends like yourself can't inspire the next generation, then what hope have we got? Thank you so much, DJ V2. Thank you, Swami Barakas. Shout out to DJ V2. Some really deep stuff. And it's crazy when you think about you know, how women are still so held back within our industry, I guess generally within the Asian society anyway. Yeah, I feel like Me Too hasn't quite reached <laughs> no. the British Asian music world. No. Uh, I'm sure it will at some point. It, I'm, and it, there'll be a lot of uh, interesting stories and yes. and scandals to come out of it I as well at the same time. I can only imagine. Um Mm, yeah, she made some really, really interesting points. Yeah, really um, interesting. you know, but, you know, she's been one of the few Asian DJs still DJing from that time period. And, you know, like male or female, still one of the best to rock it. Uh, and and Gooch Gooch Nights, the amount of fun I've had on Gooch Gooch Nights in the past. Like, I'm not even I'm not even a big like Bollywood guy, but the fun I've had at Gooch Gooch Nights <laughs> has been like ridiculous. You really can let yourself go. I went to one Gooch Gooch night. Oh, did you? Yeah. Was it torture for you? Because I know how much you hate Bollywood. No, do you know what? I was not in a good place, let's just say. <laughs> right. And um, my friend was like, let's go. Let's go out. You need some cheering up. Yeah. And I drank a lot. Oh, dear. I just sat at the bar, basically. <laughs> Were you, that, you know, there's that one guy who just sits on the stool. He's like, pour me another one, Frank. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Me. It was, yeah it was a funny time yeah uh but shout out to dj ritsu uh over the course of that day we managed to bump into loads of different people uh and it was great to catch up with a lot of people as well at the same time that's again another thing about Milla is it's crazy how all these connections that i used to make through music and seeing people all the time and 
now like it's like almost a once in a year or once every six months there'll be an event or like a you know a launch or something it's like that when i went to go see mushi the other day it was almost a reunion more than anything of so many people that we used to see out and about during those days of socializing and networking and all these asian industry events etc and the miller is always something the same but one person i didn't expect to be there was monty panesar yes <laughs> it was so random yeah he just turned up yeah he did um I, it wasn't even like I, I didn't think that was kind of his scene but you know big up monty panessa for being there representing it's a massive community event and you know there's a lot of things that happened within monty in his career but you know we can't forget the fact that he was the very first sikh player to play for england which is a massive, massive thing. And it's it huge. broke down so many walls and barriers within the community. Yeah, absolutely. It's massive. Yeah. And this is what I wanted to discuss with him, basically in more detail. And this is what he had to say. Right, so I'm here at the London Miller with Monty Bonessa, the first Sikh cricketer to play for England. Now, Monty, this was a massive thing for our communities, being the very first one from your community to play for England. How was that initially for you? And did you have any issues within your circles being the first Sikh player to play for England? No, I, I, I didn't uh, come across uh, issues as such because I think in cricket... Uh, it's about talent and merit. If you've got your talent and, 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 you're, and, and, you're, and, and you're very talented, yeah. or if you work hard and, you, and, and you're performing well, uh, people uh, select you on your performance. Yeah. It doesn't matter uh, if you're fat, if you're thin, if you're bold, if you're yeah. grey, or if you've got like blue eyes or brown eyes, if you've got big hands, small hands. It's nothing to do with that. It's to do with your performance. So, a great example of that is like in England, I didn't try that, but world cricket. Look at Mumbutamurulithra. He's a Tamil, right? But that's a minority in Sri Lanka. Tamils, right? But he got picked because of his merit. He was unbelievably talented. So this taboo of... I hear it amongst a lot of British Asians. Oh, I didn't get selected because X, Y, and Z or because, you know... Uh, my colour of my skin wasn't grey or uh, they didn't do me because um, I didn't have blue eyes for example right or whatever that's not the case you've got to get that taboo out of your head that's just a, like a naysayer in your mind where you're just you're just you're having a conversation within yourself which is actually negative yeah. and you've got to think to yourself do I have the skills do I have the talent right do I actually have the skills to, to, to go well in cricket or any other walks of life that's how you got to assess it. And if you don't, then you go out there and develop those skills. Yeah. So why do you think um, with cricket that seems to be the case? But with other sports, the big sports within the UK, I guess, is football. Why do you feel that that hasn't been the advancements for British Asians within that sport the same way there's been basically within cricket? Well, firstly, cricket is our national sport in India, Pakistan and everywhere else, right? So we are widely accepted in a much easier circumstance because the BCCI holds the power of cricket. Like every £10 that is earned, let's say globally, 70% comes from India. Now, in football, if we had the similar model, then we see more British Asians coming through. But football is obviously dominated by um, more of the European nations and uh, possibly... Uh, yeah, European, I would probably say, yeah, yeah, is the strongest, yeah, right? Exactly, like yeah. the Premier League, La Liga, uh, yeah, yeah and, and that. So, from that point of view, you know, our parents or our families are more inclined 
for our children to play cricket because of their natural affiliation. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you feel now is the future? Now that we've seen a lot, since you came in, we've had a number of other British Asians playing in the England team. I think at, at any one time, there's always one represented, whether it's somewhere Indian background, Pakistani background, Sri Lankan background, Bangladeshi background. We all seem to have one, one or two within the England team. Where do you see the future for British Asians uh, being in the England team itself? Uh, uh, look, it's the strongest I've ever seen in terms of diversity. When I played for England, it was brilliant. And uh, yeah, to be honest, when I kind of broke through, after that, we've had a lot of Asian cricketers come through. And it kind of gave uh, belief to a lot of cricketers yeah. before then. Before that, it was always just drips and drabs and, you know, not on a, on a regular occurrence. Yes. Like if I'm playing for a few years and someone else comes for a few years, it's always an Asian in the team yeah. and the best thing when we won the Cricket World Cup was when um, they tried to do the champagne celebration yeah, we saw Moen Ali and Elder Rashid sort of you know running away from it so the alcohol doesn't get splashed you know in, in Muslim yeah. you're not supposed to have alcohol on to you right Absolutely. so that's part of their culture but I thought that was just a, a, a great moment to celebrate the diversity we have in English cricket we have a a New Zealander yes, in Ben exactly, Stokes yeah, we have a, a, a Zimbabwean in Sam Curran yeah. uh, then we have an Irish Owen Morgan then we have yeah. a Pakistani origin so you've got such a diverse yes. and then you ask me then we ask the question why do we want Brexit <laughs> absolutely exactly exactly most of the teams are international anyway <laughs> you know um, okay so I've always been a, a, a big India fan um, supported India I'm the same as a lot of British Asians in the UK that support their, their cultural roots which is the home nations from back home um, have you encountered any issues playing for England but also from the you know from looking at it from the perspective of the British Asian community here about oh why aren't you playing for India why are you playing for England and then the, the almost that like, you almost have to find your allegiance you fight your allegiance almost sometimes have you encountered anything like that within the past I think what I've uh, what I've had like in the past is um if I'm done well against India, for example, then people say, oh, you're a traitor, you should be playing for India, what are you doing, you know, getting like, you know, players out of India or Pakistan origin, you're a traitor, you shouldn't be doing that. And yeah, I've been, I've been called a traitor and I was like, well, what do I do? What do you exactly like, exactly. You know, I'm British Asian born in this country. Absolutely. So you're almost damned if you and, do, damned if you don't. And, um, and it's like, um, you know, in a way, the best way to win them over is like, don't do well against the subcontinent <laughs> teams. So then they'll say, oh, you know, and then yeah, that's, true. that's the know. best way to do it. But you're, you're paid to play for England. Yeah. This is the country you were born in. And so, you know, like, like I said, and it's one of those things where at the time, Indian spinning was like at all time high. Gumble was playing at the time, Harbhajan Singh. And since then, it's been, you know, gamut of others. Um, but if right now, England or India offered you the chance to play for international cricket, where would you go? Pressure. No, I would always play for England. Born in this country, born and bred. Um, you know, grew up watching EastEnders, sporting Arsenal, Luton. That, that's that's my roots, isn't it? So you know, I played for England all my life. Yeah, I, I love to play for England again. I love to play cricket again. Yeah. So yeah. For me, yeah, it would probably have to be England. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you know what? Thank you so much, Monty. You becoming part of the England team as a Sikh player, still wearing the Patka, still representing your cultural roots was very, very important to the Sikh community. And hopefully we see now more Sikh players representing England going forward because that's the only way our communities are going to
progress going forward yeah absolutely I think you know we need um, just from all, all South Asian communities we need like players coming through um, you know you need the next generation to start coming through and, and that's what you need and and um, on, on, on another note I've also got like a sports you know Twitter channel called at Monty channel where I do live alerts and updates um, it's bringing sports to Twitter so please follow at Monty channel and I'll give you all the updates the technical knowledge the tactical knowledge everything you need to know about cricket please follow and uh, thank you for the podcast thank you so much Monty Vanessa there yes you know humble guy he, he, he seemed a little bit um, standoffish initially but you know once he got talking just really open and the thing is with all the questions I've asked so far you hear today I don't mince back on anything you know I, I'm not asking like so you know what's your favorite color and um <laughs> what's the best toppings in your pizza you yeah. know, kind of shit you know i went for the jugular and asked questions that a lot of people probably won't ask just because of you know pc so i wanted to get you know into the the real crux of you know what's happening within each of those people's careers yeah and i think that i mean he's probably understandably standoffish yeah. because he's had a lot of flack absolutely especially from Asians yeah especially from our own community yeah. and so you, you can't blame him for not trusting Asian interviewers no absolutely and you know our, you know, the, the, when something goes wrong our, our communities are the, the first ones to bring people down the same way if someone's doing well we're the first ones to bring those people up so it's like a, it's, always, it's almost are like a double Aren't we the first people just to put the knife in, yeah. whether they're doing well or not? True. Because when they're doing well, everyone's, well, people are jealous. Yeah. And when they're not doing well, it's like, ha ha, see, and you're reveling in their misery. Yeah. So I think that, and we've talked about this before, but I think that's the problem with our community and the support that we show. Yeah, as a Or whole. the lack of support, support that we show. Yeah. People that we should be trying to kind of encourage. Absolutely. So hopefully, like you said, we hope we get the chance to see more British Asians involved within the England team, uh, within the England setup. Obviously, like I told him, I'm an India fan, so I'll always support India regardless. But it is nice to see people within our communities here progressing within the England team themselves because that's enables more integration and, uh, and also more we diversity. Live in, it's not a problem because we all live in England. Yes. And actually, if you want to be seen as part of being... Um, if you want to be seen as part of British society, mm. I'm not saying you have to give up support in India because I support India. Yeah. But I, you can't have a go at people who then decide to play for the country that they live in. Yes. And that they feel part of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we support England, yeah. the football team. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So it's not a problem if an Asian plays for the English cricket team. Yeah, exactly. Because you'd be more over the moon seeing an Indian player or someone from an Asian background representing England in football. So it should work the same with cricket and all the other sports. Exactly. But yeah, so shout out to Monty Panessa, thanking him for the interview. <laughs> One person that we wanted to interview and we dithered and dithered and dithered forever on it and they just didn't get it was Balbir Bujangi. Now, he was there. And the, the reason it was important for me, I feel, to interview him was because when we spoke about that show and the history of British Asian music, he was one of the first people we spoke about uh, because of the, the content of his songs from back then, talking about um, his struggle of, uh, you know, 
you know, working in the foundries and working in the factories and, you know, but it, like it was very much, a you know, his story coming here to the UK, which was such a, a refreshing concept compared to other Bhangra songs and folk songs of the time period. And yeah, and the story of many of our parents my like it was the story of my dad and yes. his struggles working in foundries and factories so it's important because they felt represented I yeah think. yeah so we did want to interview him and but yet we didn't no we didn't because firstly like i said i got shy and secondly because all the pressure was on me to be able to flex my punjabi and mm. as much as i am like proud of the fact that i can speak or write Punjabi at home mm. when I have to speak it to people I don't know yeah. and and they're like you know with a professional hat on yeah I I get really freaked out and I don't think it's good enough and then I don't want someone to think that I'm you know shit yeah no, no. basically and and it's really annoying because my mom was speaking to me the other day and she was like there's nothing wrong with your Punjabi yeah, and I was yeah. Like, it is, there's nothing wrong with it when I speak to my mom yeah, no, I get, but with no, I everybody get it. Else. I get it. I'm to be honest. You know, what? I I'd kind of feel the same in a way with if there was someone that was like a Gujarati singer, then I had to flex an interview in Gujarati. I probably I'd feel like I could hold my own, but I'd still be I'd still be a little bit inhibited by it. Yeah, and especially when it's someone that you respect a lot and yeah. admire, and you know that they're, you know, like you know that they've made such an important. Contribution. Kind of contribution to the world yeah <laughs> or to at least to the the british asian world that you don't want to sound like a dickhead mm, yeah and so i choked <laughs> but no, it's absolutely fine it was just like he was you know when he's like he's literally standing where you're uh, you are to me and we were like shall we right next shall we shall we shall we and we just we didn't in and he end. was on his own for me he was on his own he was just jamming by himself and i kind of felt like you know like uncle g will let you know sit down let's let's talk can it but um yeah we didn't i feel like next time we let's we should get like you know someone that can be like a interpreter thing and we can kind of use no because i'd feel even more ashamed that i needed an interpreter to <sighs> to translate my or interpret my questions into punjabi bullshit no never but I'd rather also, just not have the interview. What the fuck? Bobby Bajangi probably hasn't had many interviews with like podcasts. That's that's a whole realm completely away from the kind of things he's done normally. So he, I think he'd be really open to it. But obviously, you know, I just have to rehearse my questions. Yeah, I can do it, brother. I'll let, I'll do it with you. We'll, we can both sit there together and like you know, kind of learn Punjabi together. Punjabi's really not that bad either. It really is very annoying. I just never went to Punjabi school, so I'm always like my grammar's all over the place. Mm. I never learned the Punjabi alphabet and stuff. So it's just what I learned at home. Mm. So you know when you have that like, and this is the problem, and I'm sure many people have been through the same thing. So when you're just speaking the Punjabi that you've learned at home, yeah, if you get something wrong, like for some reason... Your parents, your extended family think it's fucking hilarious to rip the piss. Yeah, absolutely. And so it just kills your confidence. And so now I just don't bother. Mm, yeah. I feel like that could be a, a conversation for a much longer show as well. Uh, because Emotional I think lot... trauma that your parents leave you with when they take the piss out of you for not being able <laughs> yes. to speak your, you know, mother tongue. Yeah, that could be that could be a whole episode, basically, fam. <laughs> Let's not do it in Punjabi, though. No. Um, but yeah, shout out to Bobby Munjagi. Next time, bruv. Next time. We'll, we'll get you. Bruv, 
Uncle, Uncle G. G. Uncle G. Show some respect. All right. Uncle G, we'll get you on the show properly next time. You know, much respect to him. He's an absolute legend of the game. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I've got a headache still. I'm oh, still in a bit sake. of a ratty mood. Excuses. Um, but our final interview today, uh, which is probably the most important one, I feel, because it's the guy who is pretty much the mastermind behind the whole thing. Ajay Chabra is pretty much the founder, as well as the organizer, as well as like the main man. But when you see him, like you'd think this would be a, like like headless chickens running around everywhere. He's got such a calm head on him. Yes. Um, and, you know, all this stuff's happening and the chaos that ensues. And he's just a, a vault of... Serenity. Yeah. It's crazy. But uh, in between his uh, running around from different places and making things happen, we managed to get a few minutes to speak to him. Yeah, it was only meant to be five. Yeah. But we ended up having a very interesting conversation. Yes. And Jojo B was the one that conducted this. So I asked good questions. You did ask good questions. We asked good questions as a couple, fam. Yes, you also did very well. Well done. Thank you. Do I get to introduce my interview this time? Because you've done all the, well, yes. and this is what they said bits. <laughs> so here is me <laughs> talking to Ajay Chabra about being the main man at the Miller. <laughs> and this is what he had to say. Bits <laughs> off. <laughs> Hello, we are at the London Miller, and I'm here with the organiser of the London Miller, a job that looks very hectic from what I've seen today, uh, Ajay Jabra. And you seem like you're uh, kind of running around a lot today. <laughs> how, how, how does the average day on Miller Day work for you? Well, it, it involves lots of walking, <laughs> lots of talking, lots of watching. I mean, it, it's interesting because by the time it gets to the, to the weekend of Miller, I try and do as, le as, as less as possible. Yeah. So it's, it's all the planning and there's nothing, you know, I think what we've learned and what I've learned more over the years, the more that we plan, the more that we discuss and the more that we talk to each other as a, as a group of people who deliver the mela, the better the mela gets. And the worst thing we can do is leave things till the last minute. Yeah. So, 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 so my average mela day is hopefully walking around, making sure everyone's happy yeah. and seeing the fruits of our labour uh, in front of us. So how long does it take? How much pre-planning is there for Miller Weekend? Um, the long and short of it is it takes a year. Okay. And But 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 there are certain projects that we do. And I think the thing that, that, that is at the heart of the London Miller is the, the artistic and cultural offer. Yes. And what I mean by that is... We, we, we take a lot of time to bring groups of people, artists together yeah. from different art forms to work with each other to create a story or a new show or a finale show. Yeah. So in previous years we've had uh, drummers from the south of France that we've suspended 100 metres into the air wow. on a crane with fireworks going off in the background wow. with door drummers from East London and dancers and carnivalists. Now, a project like that takes people's breath away yeah. and I think it, it remains in people's imaginations yes. and it brings them back yeah. and it, in an age now where everyone knows everything and everyone's got access to everything all of the time yeah. I think there's nothing more special 
than being part of something that is happening in front of their eyes right now. Yeah. And that could be everything, anything from, you know, a dancer, a live singer, a musician. Yeah. You know, because I think access to YouTube and short clips um, gives us everything. You yeah. Know, from, from, but, but I think our ambition has always been to make those big projects happen. And those big projects take longer than a year. So I'm already thinking about what that big project, the shape of what that big project could look like in 2021. Not necessarily what the name of it is or what story we want to tell, but what imagery, you know, do we want to suspend 20 dollies in the air above the audience doing something uh, that takes people's breath away. And that all takes time. And in terms of finding performers for that kind of that big spectacle but also just all the other performers that happen on, across all the stages here um, how do you source them and how easy do you think it is to find them within the British Asian culture well that, I think that's a really good question there's no specific formula yeah and I think you know I'd be really I'd really be open to say that in the early years we just made it up as we went along yeah and, and it was this thing you know Mela means to meet or to gather yeah and it has a meaning to yeah. people who come now it has you know when people think of the Mela, they think of family, friendly, meeting people that you haven't seen for a while. It seems to have a really special place yeah. in the hearts and minds of people and families. Yeah. Um, I can't put, I can't put, quite put my finger on it. I don't know. You know, I couldn't say, I couldn't say why, why that is. But I think in this day and age, where communities are fragmented, we're not quite sure who our neighbours are, and if we do, we might not necessarily engage with them. You know, there's a there's a kind of individuality that we that leads our lives. You know, we we, we can be pretty self-sufficient, but then a mela breaks all those rules. A mela, you just kind of randomly walk around, and somebody really wealthy could be around around a bunch of kids just playing football. You know, watching a watching a stage act. So, so it's it's you know, there is no formula to how we select the program. But over the years, what, what we've done is we've empowered. People have come to us. So, for example, there's a, a fantastic member of our team called Sachin Ketani, and Sachin is in his early 20s, graduated from university a couple of years ago. But when he was eight, he started playing tabla with Pandit uh, Sharda Sahai uh, group, and he performed at the London Mela. And we created this this new this we created this new piece of work called Tabla Blah Blah Tabla Blah Blah Blah. So. It's, you know, at the time you think, well, what, what is that? It's a bit odd. But it was an ensemble of 25 young boys and girls, all under the age of 16, who created a tabla ensemble and uh, DJed live, and Bobby Fiction DJed live on stage oh, wow. with Pandit Chai there with them. So it was this kind of one generation passing over to the next. Yeah. And it was kind of, you know, two very different disciplines yeah. meeting. And it worked, it really worked. So Sachin was part of that. So I think if you're on stage and you feel the spirit of being with a group and doing something special and the audience responds to that yeah it's it, it's magic yeah you know and it's a bit of a drug that you know keeps you coming back for more yeah. so Sachin's come back for more so Sachin looks after a lot of the live music he, he's a musician himself uh Jake Kumar we work with who looks after the community program he lives just up the road he runs dance classes he's really enthusiastic he's a fantastic a performer and family person and he just gets it yeah. and the thing about what we like about Jay as well is the fact that it's not about the perfectly formed dancer yeah. it's, it's about 
the spirit and energy of wanting to dance. So you could be a plus size, or you could be a little kid, or you could be uh, an old Uncle G, you know, all that mixture, that's what we want. Yeah. You could be somebody in a wheelchair, yeah, we want that, but you could still be a Bollywood dancer. You don't have to be this kind of super slim, archetypal, you know, long black hair. Yeah. Bollywood dancer, you know, that's a kind of, and I think the London Mail has started to change yeah. perceptions. It's really important for us to uh, amplify, you know, mail has tended to be a kind of male domain. Yeah. Men have tended to inhabit the land of Mela. Yeah. And I think we've, we've worked quite hard, and I think we can work harder to change that. So in the next three years, we're, we're running a, a project called Women in Mela, okay. and that's right across, that's from, you know, Backstage to uh, program uh, to uh, the, the development of it, some academic stuff behind it. You know, the full gamut. That's really important. The other thing that we're doing is we're working on um, amplifying disability in there. Now, that's not just you know one of the things that we, I think we do well is um, the disabled access and, and ensuring people in wheelchairs can have vantage points and they can see the stage. You know, very small things. Yeah. The toilets, we have disabled toilets, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. The infrastructure is already there. But the, but the important thing I think for us is is encouraging uh, people with disabilities to get up on stage and say you can you can be part of this program yeah. too. And so we're going through a process with that. Um, and then the thing that sort of always hangs over us is is young people. I've never said no to anyone who wants to perform at the London Mayor. Okay. Because I was that kid once, yeah. knocking on people's doors yeah. and saying, I'd like to perform. And, you know, most of the time you'd get a rejection. <laughs> so it's not in my, uh, I don't have the ability to say no. Okay. Uh, we, are, we are open all doors for Brilliant. young people yeah. that, that want to discover something about themselves. And do you tend to have quite a lot of people knocking on your door then? Like, yeah, we do, we do. Um, we, we were a small team, yeah. so we're really careful not to over-promise. Yes. And I think, you know, that, that's, that's a kind of road to failure. And I think, you know, people know who we are, yeah. know how they can access us. Yeah. And we make sure we, you know, people are, do get in touch. And, you know, it might be, it might be as simple as somebody saying, I want to, I'm a community dancer and I'd like to perform next year. Now that's quite straightforward. We can then make that happen. Okay. It might be somebody who's just graduated and they might be saying, I'd like to think about curating a stage or how do you be an artistic director? What does that mean? Yeah. You know, because I would have, I asked the same questions, right. you know, not that long ago, you know, and, um, and I always say that one of the things that we can do is, is help mentor some of those conversations. Yeah. You know, because if we see ourselves on stage and we see ourselves in the audience, everyone rises together. Yes. Yeah. And that is something that we definitely try and push on the podcast as much as possible, that we need to kind of be a community and actually progress as a community rather than kind of segregate ourselves into our individual communities within the Asian community, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, you know, you know. Look, my my mother's from Fiji, my dad's from India. I grew up in, I was born and grew up in London, you know, in a very mixed community. So, you know, I see it from lots of diff, through lots of different lenses. Yeah. And it's important that we don't get caught up with one seeing life through one single lens. Yeah. You know, whether it's, you know, driven by. You know, one of the things that I encourage people that I know a lot is get out of your family setting. Yeah. You know. Go, do something different, go somewhere different, yeah. you know, step outside of that kind of bubble, that, that kind of Asian bubble, yeah. you know, which, which I'm really proud to belong to, yes. and I'm really proud of, but I'm also proud of having the ability to step in and out of it, 
like comfortably. Yeah. You know, and there are lots of people who could do that. But I think um, those of us that have been around for a bit need to remind ourselves that that's the way to go. Yeah. You know, it's not. I mean, I left school at 16 without any qualifications, yeah. and then over the over the next decade, I kind of, you know, instead of I did, I did, I, did, I went back. I went. I, I led my life backwards, I guess. And um, and sometimes when you when you when you do things that are quite different, incredible things happen. You know, the Mela wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have left school without any any qualifications at 16. It would have happened in a different way. Yeah. It might have been more commercial. It might have been more corporate. It might not have had this intergenerational, multi art form feel about it. Yeah. And it might have been a festival that had to keep saying no to people. Yeah. You know, because it's driven by money and you know commercial value. So what does drive you? What is the mix? It's a lot of hard work. I think it's it's the social economy. It's the fact that people, you know, societies need a space in which to gather and communicate and understand each other. Without 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 that being without that title being on the front of the door, a mela is a really is a really soft way of kind of saying to say to people, come in, come in, have something to eat, have a laugh, listen to some good music, and start to get a feel for how a bunch of, a different bunch of people do things differently. Yeah. You know, mela, mela means to me, and we can we can we can do whatever we like under that umbrella. Yeah. I was in Oslo two weekends ago at the Oslo Mela, which I helped uh, start uh, just under 20 years ago. Um, and Oslo, Scandinavia, you know, very monocultural. Yeah. And so, almost 20 years on, Os- the Oslo Mela is the largest multicultural festival in Scandinavia. Wow. It's incredible. But it's not just South Asian stuff. You know, it, there are Somalian, South American, East African, South Asian, and North African, Eastern European artists that are all in the same program. So so it's... it's. And is that what you see in the future of uh, London? I think London's a different place. I think I think London is one of, one of, one of the few super cities in the world, yeah. you know, where, you know, and this is more of an observation than I guess a reality, being a Londoner. I think London has its own special place. And I think there's a lot of change that happens in London that then happens elsewhere. Yeah. And 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 perhaps a decade or two ago, it would it would happen slower. Yeah. So what would happen in London might happen a decade later in another city which has a large yeah. uh, immigrant diaspora. And I think that's all that's catching up with itself now. But London is like New York or Sydney or Vancouver or Toronto. These Hong Kong, Delhi, Mumbai, you know, these super cities yeah. which have a have a language of their own, yeah. they have a rhythm of their own, they attract certain groups of people, they are tourist hubs, you yeah. know, they drive the economy, and I think that has to be acknowledged. Yeah. So I think um, I think I think I think and also what, what super cities need, I think, is um, intent and focus and uh, you know I think you know, there, there is a way of doing it. We, we can't be everything for everyone all of the time. Yeah. I think I think there are some cities and towns that can do that. Yeah. You know, you can have a broader program because of the numbers of the diasporic communities that live there. Yeah. But yeah. I think London, you know, we're spoiled. You know, we've, we're a massively, we're an incredibly talented, diverse, uh, smart, future-thinking super city. Yeah. You know, and our culture reflects that. Yeah. You can go anywhere 
anywhere in London and be in any any part of the world at any given time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time, Ajay. I'm very busy, so you're probably going to have to come back and make sure everyone's doing okay. But thank you so much for your time. And we will definitely be having you back for a longer, like, longer uh, chat very, very soon, hopefully. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Thanks. you very much. Much, much respect to Ajay there. I, I feel like we need to have a, a much longer discussion with him. Yes. Because I could, I could legit, legitimately listen to him for hours talking about this. He's got such a calm, soothing voice as well. Yes, I was slightly entranced. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, um, but you almost, I feel like you almost need to be, when you're dealing with uh, a machine as big as the Miller. It needs it needs one person to just be the kind of the voice of reason, the voice of calm. Also, he's been doing it forever, so yeah. I, I don't think there's many things that you could throw at him now that would surprise him. No, very very true. So, he's yeah. probably dealt with all the the divas, all the crazy rider requests. I mean, like a hundred percent would be like blue M and M's, blue M and M's, yeah, blue M and M's and orange Smarties. Blue M and M's. Mine would obviously be chili paneer. And uh, one bottle of coca. You're easy to please, aren't you? Mate, there's no, no fucking around. I want champagne with gold bits in it. <laughs> and someone you there to drink, pour it for you me. drink the gold. Yeah, it's good for you. What? You know, like you have silver on top of the burfi. Not like the real, it has to be the real silver though. You know, there's a time in India where everyone yeah. was putting lead on top of it and you couldn't get buy burfi in India anymore because yes. it had lead on it. It'd be the real silver. So this, and it's it's all right to eat. So you can do the same with gold. And I want gold in my champagne. Okay. Actually, I prefer Prosecco. So gold in my Prosecco. Slightly cheaper as well. So I'm doing them a favor. And my bleep. orange Smarties. And... I still have a thing for salt and vinegar crisps ever since the whole pregnancy and that's all I lived on for nine months thing. They're blatantly never going to ask us back there, are they? Fuck's sake. I mean, we don't get a rider anyway. We're impressed. Yeah, true. True. We just got the pencil behind it. We just need... We just pencil need to, sharpener, like, please. Yeah, pencil sharpener. Yeah, pencil sharpener is, is number one on our list. Babysitter. Um, Maybe that PR girl. Yeah. <laughs> Can't remember her name. She was so long. Eden. She was called Eden. She was lovely. What a fucking sick name. I know. I was like, how can I forget that name? She was, yeah. Wow. Amazing name. And um, she was lovely and she offered to babysit. Well, so maybe then. Next we can, year. We, yeah. Maybe then we can return to Eden. <laughs> <laughs> 80s reference, people. No one will get what the fuck I'm talking about there. Um, but yeah. Big up, Ajay. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of the Miller this year. Um, shout to all of his team. You know who you are. Raj, Sachin, Uzair, who almost played like a babysitter for us. For I mean, just wandered off with the baby. And we were like... Yeah, Jojo B was very concerned. I was like, yeah, that's okay. I, th- I mean, I thought he'd go like around the corner and back again. Yeah. He disappeared for like 10 minutes. And I was like... Jojo B had like... My child? Had 999 on speed dial at that point. Um... But yeah, shout out to the whole team. It's it takes a massive team effort to make the Miller work, and there's so much that happens behind the scenes, and so many unsung heroes behind the scenes. Uh, and so you know, full credit where credit's due. They do an awesome job year in year out. And you know, it's it, I know people say it's all right. It'll be all right on the night. We'll just make it happen. But there is a lot of planning and meticulous organization that goes with this, and they deliver year in year out. It's it's amazing. Yep. 
And if you are interested in getting involved, then as Ajay said, just, you know, knock on his door. (laughs) I mean, not literally, like send him an email or something. But um, if you've got an idea or you want to be involved and you want to perform, let them know when you could find yourself on next year's stage. Yeah, look at that. And we could be on there interviewing you as part of our podcast. That would be interesting. Yeah. Imagine people that would have heard it through this show managed to get onto the miller and then we interview them in a year's time. Yeah, on the community stage. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. You know what? I think you put an idea across, mate. Yeah. There you go, Ajay. If you're listening, fam, get in touch. Shout out to the London Miller. Shout out to Bobby Friction. Shout out to Shin from DCS for the amazing shout outs as well. But yeah, so anything else, Jojo B? Uh, not Miller related, no. Hmm. Uh, just general kind of, you know, because I'm a telly addict now. Yes. Remember telly addicts? Oh my God, yeah. Oh my God, I would be so good. At, we would we would kill it on that program. We would absolutely fucking smash it because uh, that's what we do now is watch television. They should bring telly addicts back. Uh, yes. Noel Edmonds was great on that. Anyway, if you weren't born in the 80s, you won't know what I was on about. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite programs mm. since I've been on maternity leave is The Chase. <laughs> yes, you do love The Chase. Yes. And I was watching this on our recent trip to Newcastle mm-hmm. because my mom and dad also love The Chase now that they're retired. Standard. And there was an Indian. There was a Singh. Big up called, on The Chase. Yeah, he's called Gurpal. Big up Gurpal Singh. And he had a question which, you know, I saw it and I was like, oh my God, he's an Indian. He'll get this. Yeah. Yeah. No. What? No. He didn't get this question. But was it like a, you know, like you, you could say who was the third president of India? No. After? No, it okay. wasn't anything like that. It was about an everyday thing that we all know about. Okay. Or that most of us would have consumed at some point in our life. Right. So I can't remember the exact question. <laughs> what is the exact question? It was like, um, made up of lentils. Um, no, we should have the right question. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you do that. Uh, I think. Okay, I'm trying not to kill it while battery is on time. I can move it off. Oh, Priya Kalidas is the one who tweeted it, isn't she? Yeah, she's one of the people on the scene. <laughs> Okay, so this was the question. You tell me if you could get this. All right. In Indian cuisine, what thin spiced bread is made from ground lentils and fried in oil? A, poppadom. Mm. B, naan. Or C, paratha. Well, see, I would have said poppadoms, but poppadoms not a bread. It's like a, like a, not even a cracker. It's almost a crispy snack. Mm-hmm. The other, the other two are breads. Okay, so what would you go for? But but the other two aren't fried, so it could only be poppadum. But poppadum's not a bread. So, the answer. Have you have you given me an answer yet? Yeah, I would say poppadum. Okay, so you'd be correct. Okay, that's good, but they'd be wrong. Well, this young man said none. What the fuck? Yes. Now I watched Naan this. made of lentils. Yes, I watched this 
And I was like, mate. <laughs> I mean, that is pretty poor. That's pretty. That's that's pretty poor. It's like, not even mate like that. I was like, mate. Yeah. What are you thinking? Yeah, because you know, if you imagine if you're watching the chase and you were other contestants there, you know that you you're expecting like this is the one question to guarantee you like the main prize, and that pressure that question comes up, you would legitimately fucking start hugging yourselves and fucking celebrating like we've done it, fam. We've fucking done it. We've we're like, and you're already deciding in your head what you'd be spending those thousands on because yeah. it's a fucking it's a no brainer. Do you think it was confusing enough to not put the answer poppadom? I mean, like... Do you think the word bread would have thrown anyone off? Because I didn't even notice the word bread. I just saw the answers and I saw ground lentils and fried and I knew it was poppadom. Okay, but... It's poppadom. 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 That's what I call it. Poppadom. 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 You poppadom? What? Yeah, it's so it's no. like and we call it papper as well you call it papper mm. okay so all right so with papper that's not a bread that's in no way a bread but it's the way the dough is made i think that's what defines what a bread is or not but then you kind of like when i, I think. when you're having like say like a tortillas that's the only thing i could that's the closest comparison that i could i could think because tortilla is also made as a as but a whole the, but that is a so are you talking about like the tortilla chips? But that's still made f- with with making an almost like a you know like a roti that's so the, then well fried. It's, it's the tortilla wrap. It's the flatbread. Yes, not wrap. It's the flatbread, which is then cut into pieces and deep fried. Right. So technically, it is a fried, deep fried bread. Uh, you would never call up. You would never say when you go to a restaurant get popperdom and order it from the bread section popperdom he's not even call it now popperdom yeah it's a thing <laughs> it's now, a isn't it? thing. I keep, okay popperdoms popper yeah. i don't want to say popperdoms because i don't i never use that term it's popper you know what I mean? it just reminds me of big brother celebrity big brother but anyway um yeah oh fuck's sake um, um yes so i could i could see why he'd be a little bit like a teensy bit confused but the, in no world in no other way could it be the other two options. Yeah, because you must know that Bharti aren't made like that. Obviously. Right? And... Neither is naan. And yeah, in what world is a naan deep fried and made with lentils? Yeah. So that's the thing. It could only be poppadom as a default. Yeah. But I, I, I still think that putting the word bread in there does throw... A little bit of a spanner. It might not be an accurate descriptor, but but, but that's still that's still pretty. It's poor. still not enough to throw you off the question completely and be yeah. like, "Oh, I don't know what the answer is. I'm going to say none." Mm. Good ball. You let yourself down, and you let the rest of us down. You let your country down. And I don't even know what happened to it because we got so like engrossed in the conversation about why he would ever say that yeah. that we missed the rest of his round. Oh, fuck's so sake. I don't know what happened to him. Well, he's got his claim to fame. You know, he was known as the Papadum guy. Um, but yeah, that's 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 pretty poor. Pretty poor. Shame on you, Gurval. Never mind. It is what it is. Um, right. Well, that's the end of this week's episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. Shout out to the London Miller. And hopefully we'll see you all there next year. 
But until our next episode, I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm the ailing Jojo B. And we'll see you all then, people. Peace. See ya. <laughs>